everybody. This is Cynthia Barnes, founder and CEO of the National Association of Women Sales Professionals, back with another episode of Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes. And I have the pleasure of interviewing today Haley Nielsen. She started her professional sales career in telecommunications at the beginning of the internet age and has been on the forefront of helping large global companies connect their employees, customers, suppliers, and partners to each other and to new markets. She has worked with technology and business leaders at such iconic companies as Microsoft, Starbucks, Expedia, one of my favorites, Nordstrom, and has sold everything from the first suite of e-commerce software to the first smartphone and 4G wireless technology. Known as a turnaround leader, Haley believes that authentic coaching is the key that unlocks human potential and that everyone has something to offer through collaboration, innovation, and personal striving toward the collective good. Haley's current role with Information Services Group is centered on helping enterprise sales and business leaders be more successful in competitive pursuits by providing insights from ISG research in market trends, competitive positioning, pricing, and account intelligence. A desert person through and through, Haley is no good below 70 degrees Fahrenheit, so she lives and works in Phoenix, Arizona. She's the proud mom of two amazing humans who are using their vast talents to make the world a better place and considers this her greatest achievement. Haley, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Cynthia, it is a pleasure to be with you. I'm I'm doing great. It's about 104 in Phoenix today, so I, I'm perfect. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. When I read your bio that said that you were no good uh, below 70, I thought about my recent relocation and I said, you know what? I'm with you totally. I don't want to live anywhere where the temperature dips below my age. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. I refuse. Yeah. So we had to get the heck out of Michigan. Oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So as a, a thriving woman in sales, one of the most influential women in sales, Tell us about how you got your career started in sales. Oh, it's such a great story. I was working in the arts, actually. I was uh, working in public relations and, you know, I loved it. I worked at a ballet company. I worked at a botanical garden. I worked for a symphony orchestra. And then one day, my sister-in-law at the time called me up and she said, I, I went to work for this little company and we are making buckets of money. We're making buckets of money here. And you need to, you need to think about coming over. And I said, well, tell me more because I love the arts, but it was a labor of love. Right. And I wasn't making great money. And the idea of making great money sounded a lot of fun. So, um, it was a little company by the name of MCI, <laughs> which m many of your listeners are probably too young to remember. And I got hired on the recommendation of my sister-in-law alone. I had no sales experience. I had no technology experience, no telecommunications experience. And I showed up on my first day in this high-performing, high-energy sales environment, and I was completely hooked. And uh, I've been I've been super lucky ever since to build up a business and a reputation in sales. And but that's where it all started. Somebody just took a chance on me based on this referral. <laughs> that's awesome. How many times do we hear? And I'm sure you've heard this story that 
I didn't plan to get into sales. It was completely by accident. And once I was in, I loved it. Yeah. I think too, I got lucky because I joined an industry at a time of really high growth. And I joined a company that was all about sales. I mean, you know, books have been written about the MCI sales culture and it still remains to this day a foundation of what I consider to be an excellent, high-performing sales culture. And pretty much everybody who came from that organization, I think, feels the same way. So, you know, in some ways it, it was by accident, but I also got really, really lucky. That is amazing. So ever since then, what have you sold that you loved selling the most? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I look back on when I first joined MCI and it was before the internet really existed uh, on a commercial basis. And the year that I started there, we launched our first suite of internet-based software tools. Um, We were the first company that I know of to offer businesses the tools to build a website and to sell products and services on the web. And it was so cool to be part of that. And you know, the, the biggest objection that we got was, well, why do I need a website? I mean, I, I don't understand. I've got a perfectly good fax machine. So, you know, thinking back on that and helping people see the potential in this new technology, I think that was probably the most fun I've ever had. I love the innovation and the question, why do I need a website? Now a business wouldn't even think of starting. I I can't imagine. I remember when there were fax machines, but I don't remember (laughs) pre-internet. I couldn't even imagine trying to explain to someone. it It was wild, but really, really fun. And, you know, we had a team of experts who were so focused on sales, you know, so it wasn't like we had to reach back into this weird garage full of nerds and try to find one that could speak English. You know, it was, we had a frontline technical sales team that was just second to none and really inspiring. And that's when I learned the power of a sales organization to inspire companies and to, you know, that, that's what I think was the most eye-opening thing for me in my early in my early career. So what lessons did you learn there that have made you successful now? A couple things. <laughs> One, I had a sales manager who told me you don't have to know it really anything about this technology. But what you have to be is two things, inquisitive and responsive. And so those are two things that I have tried to cultivate in my skill set over the years. A very important thing. Customers don't expect me to know the ins and outs of every product, every service. But what they do expect is that I'll pick up the phone when they call and then I'll return their email in the same day, if not, you know, within a couple of hours. So that, that was an important foundation to, to my skill set. And then I think the other thing is to win and lose as a team. In sales, you certainly have lone rangers and people have been very successful in carving out kind of their own maverick path. But 
the more companies are diversifying their suppliers, the more they're, you know, changing roles. I mean, it used to be that, you know, the CIO was a fixture for 20 years, and that's just not the case anymore. So you have to have a team approach to selling. And um, being a strong team member is a really important lesson that I learned in, in those early days. And how do you convey that necessity, if you will, to your team? You know, that that is probably, I would say, where the art of selling comes in, right? Sometimes, and I've heard this said a lot, it's easier to sell to a customer than it is to sell internally. <laughs> so in the same way that you can inspire a customer, you almost have to double your efforts to inspire a team because anymore teams are matrix organizations. You know, the, the pursuit team may not report to me as a salesperson. In fact, most often doesn't report to me, but inspiring a team of people in working to achieve an outcome on behalf of a customer is I think at the core of how you convey that responsibility and, you know, not just responsibility, but opportunity to the team, inspiring them to work together to help solve this customer's challenge. And it requires great communication skills. It requires persuasion skills. And at the end of the day, it really requires understanding who you're working with, knowing what motivates them, genuinely caring about them. It's a personal, it's a very, very personal endeavor, sales is. <laughs> it is. And I've worked with a lot of women in sales and that empathy is something that we have innately. A lot of women, though, don't tap into it like they should. Do you think that empathy can be taught? A hundred percent. Tell me why. Well, I, I've seen it happen. I had this really interesting experience that has stuck with me my whole career. I was actually the marketing director at a botanical garden. So it was before I, I entered the world of telecommunication sales. And I was very young. I had a pretty big job that if I look back was maybe a little bit over my head. And I had a bunch of people in the organization that I needed to support a great guest experience at our venue, but they didn't report to me. I didn't really know what they did, you know? And so I was not that empathetic toward them, if I'm being honest. And so I had this really terrible habit of calling everybody Muffin. People would just walk by and they'd say, hey, how are you? I'd be like, hey, Muffin. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so ridiculous and so stupid. But I it was just this weird habit that I had. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think how it was making people feel what it looked like how it reflected. I mean, it was just an, it was not a thing in my mind. And one day, a member of our frontline maintenance team scheduled some time on my calendar and he came into my office and sat down across the desk from me, very serious. And he said, I need to ask you to do something. I said, absolutely, whatever you need. 
And he said, you need to stop calling me muffin. (laughs) And I was so absolutely embarrassed and mortified and so apologetic. But what I really was, was grateful to him. Yes. And I was grateful to him because that feedback offered in a very generous way. It was probably very difficult for him, you know, to have that conversation with me. It allowed me to reflect on my own behavior as it related to people that whose jobs I didn't understand, but who I needed to help me be successful. And so I say that I think empathy can be taught because I do believe that when people are offered the perspective of others with the intention of helping them have a better relationship, then it, it increases empathy. And, you know, I've, I've used that story so many times when I've said to people, you probably don't know how this is making other people feel, but let me just tell you how this is coming across, or you might want to consider changing this or that. So yes, I, I do think empathy can be taught, especially from that perspective of, you know, clear, genuine, authentic feedback. Yes. They say that feedback is a gift. Would you say that all feedback is a gift or just the constructive feedback? (laughs) You know, I think feedback is one of those things that has to come from the right intention. You know, so much of what I've learned over, especially the last probably two years is in high energy sales environments. We're very much outwardly focused. What's the next meeting I need to prepare for? What's the next proposal I need to write? What's the next you know, set of questions that I need to develop? What's the next contract I have to negotiate? And oftentimes we don't take the time to look internally and reflect on why am I doing this? Why do I get up every day and, you know, hustle the way that I hustle? And so I've really learned, this is a skill that I'm still learning, is what's my intention? What's my intention today? What's my intention with this phone call? What's my intention in offering this feedback to somebody? And what's their intention in offering feedback to me. And can I separate the, the feedback from the intention and be grateful, you know, for the feedback with the right intention and see other kinds of feedback for what it is when it doesn't have the right intention. And that's a place, if you can have the intention conversation with people, that's a place where I think, authentic connections are formed. Somebody, I can't remember who it was in my career, but said truth is in the tension, right? So yeah. if, if you can create that tension, if you can get to the intention and have those provocative conversations, that's, that's a much more authentic form of, of a relationship. And frankly, I don't have time for any of that surface stuff anymore. <laughs> 
Right. I think it comes with a level of maturity and experience. You have some of the most, the highest emotional intelligence of anyone I've ever met. Aw. When you look back on Haley, that was with MCI, what's different? Oh, man. I think what's different is probably two things. A lot of failure. A lot of failure. A lot of getting back up. And as my mother used to say, just put one foot in front of the other, do the next right thing. And the second thing is a lot of gratitude. I did not anticipate going into sales and I was probably very ill-prepared. I'm never the most educated person in the room. I have a horrible GPA from what at the time was kind of a small state school, right? (laughs) And I'm working with companies like Microsoft. I mean, for heaven's sake. Um, So I, I can recognize and be grateful for the opportunities that I've had to earn a living, support my family. So, you know, failure and gratitude are, are the two things that are different from Haley at MCI. If I were to ask Haley at MCI to complete the sentence, fill in the blank, tell me what she would say if I said, repeat after me, Haley, I am blank. What would Haley say at, at MCI? That is a great question. Boy, that's going back a few years. I'm trying to put myself in her shoes. What immediately comes to mind is, and and this is just very honest, I am terrified. Mm. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Very fearful. I mean, I was fearful of looking stupid. I was fearful of being exposed. I was fearful of not doing a good job. Definitely way more fearful than I wish I had been. Are you still fearful at times? For sure. It's something that I fight all the time. And what scares you the most? Oh, everything scares me. But I I really think it's not living up to my best self, squandering the talents and, you know, things that I've been given. And when those fears rear their ugly head. What do you do? What do you say? What do you tell yourself? Well, the first thing that I do is I, and and it always hasn't been this way. This is something that I've really cultivated over this past year, you know, because before COVID, when I was going to an office every day, I really fed off the energy of my team and my customers. And that would just the work itself would help the fear dissipate. And if I could, you know, get some wins and, you know, all is well. Being isolated the way that we have over the past several months, I've learned how to really go inward, try to identify how am I experiencing this emotion physically, where in my body, and learn how to be with that physical sensation and resulting from the emotional aspect and just let it be what it is. Trust that it will be different and not try to, not try to force it. So yeah, I, I've definitely learned some techniques in meditation and self-care that I did not have before the past 
several years or several months. Sitting in those emotions is tough because society will say, you don't have to feel that. You can drink it away. You can Olivia Pope it on Thursday nights with red wine and a, a thing of popcorn. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Maybe that's just in my house. Um, yeah. You can, you know, there's all types of chemical substances, shopping. There are so many distractions that we can use to keep from sitting in those emotions. But the real strength and the real growth comes from sitting in your stuff. Yes. Feeling it. Yes. And it's a skill. And like any other skill, it takes practice. And trust me, there are plenty of days when I get up and I'm like, I do not want to sit and meditate for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever I'm going to do. And that's where the discipline and the consistency comes in because unlike red wine and a bowl of popcorn, it's not an instant gratification thing. It's, it's a practice. It's a journey, you know, to be able to, to process those emotions in a way that is healthy, that works for you. Yes. But that's, that's growth and we are better off having done it. Well, I'll tell you, I got to a place a couple of years ago where I didn't have the skill. I wasn't pursuing the skill at all. And it will catch up and your physical health will suffer. And, you know, that's so important. So many people take it for granted, but when you don't have it, you can't get it back. It's hard to get it back. So, so that's, you know, (laughs) it's hard to think about it, especially when you're younger or, you know, in great health, it's hard to really understand how little by little those emotional aspects of your life will catch up to your physical. But when it happens, it's, you know, I had a, there was a great sales trainer at MCI. Maybe some of your listeners will remember him. His name's Doug McNair. And Doug used to teach a a sales leadership class. And he used to tell us that everybody has a 50 pound bag that they carry around. And it might be filled up with 50 pounds of rocks. It might be filled up with 50 pounds of sand. It might be filled up with 50 pounds of flowers, but everybody's got a 50 pound bag. And once you put the 51st pound in, the whole bag breaks open. And no matter what's in there, it gets out of the bag, right? And I am definitely a 51st pound girl. Like I'm good and good and good until I'm not. (laughs) So helped. Yes, I can tell. When we talk about mental health in sales, mindfulness, just yesterday or the day before the young lady, the tennis star decided that she was going to withdraw because the press conferences were not good for her mental health. And all I could think was good for you for putting your mental health first. As women in sales, I see that we don't do that. Hmm. It's becoming a trend that we are we are paying more attention, but I also see a whole bunch of women who will go, 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 and they don't take time for themselves. They don't practice the mindfulness, the meditation. They don't practice self-care. They were, like during COVID, they were mothers, they were teachers, they were wives, they were housekeepers, they were all of these different things, yet they didn't take the time to fill up their own bucket 
realizing or not realizing that you can't pour from an empty bucket. In your experience, what would you say to those women that try to do it all, try to be in the top 1% and neglect themselves? Well, first of all, I have a lot of empathy for those people because I am one and have been. And what I want to say to all of those people, because I know you're out there, is that this is, at least for my generation, I think it's getting better for our younger generations. We did not have professional female role models who taught us how to care for ourselves. That was not part of what we learned in either formal education or by coming up through the ranks in, in sales organizations or from, frankly, from our mothers. Right. So it's completely understandable that there are probably a couple of generations of women post-feminist era who just don't have these tools and don't have these skills. That's not on them. But the tools are available and it does require some practice and it requires a commitment to your own well-being. Burnout is no fun. I've been on the edge of it and it it's real. And in the absence of mindfulness, in the absence of caring for yourself, you will experience adverse and life-threatening side effects. So it's important to learn the skill. It's important to reach out to other women for resources. There are a lot of downsides of social media, but one of the great things about social media is there are so many resources that people can tap into. And Cynthia, the organization that you've created is one of those amazing resources that I've tapped into in the last year for just that just that leg up, just that support, that encouragement, that safe space where women can talk to each other about just these kinds of challenges. If I had two tips to give somebody, the first one is be healthy. Yes. Be healthy. Work actively on your own health. The other one is make sure your finances are in order, but be healthy is number one. <laughs> yes. Without health, you can't have wealth. I know it's an old cliche, but someone once told me, they said, if money can solve the problem, it's not really a problem. And as someone who struggled in their early career, I said, you know, how, how can that be? And they said, think about this. Let's say you have a terminal illness. They say you have six months to live and no amount of chemotherapy or radiation or drugs or, or pharmaceuticals can help you. Money can't solve that problem. Mm -hmm. That is a real problem. But if your mortgage is late, if your car payment is due, if the insurance lapsed, money can solve that. In the comparison of the two, it may seem that those material things are life-threatening. They're not life-ending. If money can solve it, it's not really a problem. And I say all that to say that I agree wholeheartedly. If we do not take care of ourselves, mind, body, and spirit, we are no good to anyone. Agreed. Yeah, I love that analogy. So let's fast forward to June, June 2nd of 2021. Haley, today, complete the sentence. I am what? Powerful. 
Tell us why. Why you say that? I have come to a place where, you know, the opposite of being fearful is recognizing that everything's okay. It, it's not necessarily the absence of fear, but it's the presence of joy, right? And and I've gotten to a place where the joy is more present than the fear. And that gives me energy to pursue my goals. It gives me peace to know that, you know, everything's going to be fine. And I think those two things, you know, energy and peace of mind and well-being, that, that's a very powerful combination because that's how I tap into my creativity. It's how I tap into my work ethic. It's how I can make a contribution every day. But I, I do feel very powerful. I feel like, gosh, I've overcome so many challenges. And you know what? It's always been okay. And I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that. So how can I help other people get there? And how can I use that power to make the world a better place? When I listen to you, I immediately think that your power and stepping into your power is a conscious, deliberate, intentional choice. Is that accurate? hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because we have two options. We can either play the victim role or we can say, I am powerful and then act accordingly. Mm-hmm. And if I am powerful, what are the daily habits that the down to the second that exude that power? We have choices. We always have options and we always have choices. Yeah. I think the other the other thing that I've realized, you know, and this is probably just an age thing, although I hate to characterize it that way is that other people, they don't really care that much about what I'm doing. <laughs> not you know? at all. They're, they're not really watching me to the extent that I've always thought they are. They're not really rooting for me or, or actively trying to sabotage. Like people don't care that much about what Haley is doing. So if other people don't care that much about what I'm doing, I have to care about what I'm doing because it's my thing. You know, this is my life. And like you said, my choices. And I'm at the end of the day, the one that's going to be happy with it. You know what they say? You've got to respect yourself enough to walk away from things that don't grow you, serve you or make you happy. Oh, that's I'm I'm not good at that. But yes, (laughs) I agree with you. I'm just not very good at that in practice. (laughs) <laughs> it's a practice. It's progress, not perfection, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the myths that um, I hear from sales leaders, and this is unfortunate, is that women aren't cut out for sales because they can't be both committed to home, family, and work equally. What do you say to that? Well, that's nonsense. Starting any sentence with women aren't cut out for just is automatically 100% discount, like mark it down and move it out. Right. Right. There's no such thing as women aren't cut out for. So I, I reject that just 
out of hand. You know, and it also really speaks to the perception of salespeople. You know, you and other authors and leaders in this community are doing phenomenal work in helping the broader world understand the perception of sales is not, you know, the stereotype. And that as a profession, it's really a noble profession. We're helping people get what they need to grow and to change and to make a difference in the world. That's, that's what sales is. Yes. And so the notion that a whole gender can't do that, can't pursue that endeavor, it's crazy. Crazy talk. I agree. I still hear it though. I still hear it. And I wish that I could shout from every single rooftop in every single city exactly what you said. It's just pure nonsense. That's probably not the language I would use, but that is pure nonsense. <laughs> I know we we've got to come up with a good comeback to that nonsense, you know, yeah. like a <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. <laughs> so one of the roles that I'm sure that you are extremely proud of is motherhood. What lessons do you want to impart upon your children? Oh man, my kids are grown adults. I've got a 29 year old and a 26 year old. So I think my days of imparting lessons are over, but what I, what I think my kids picked up from growing up with me as their mom that I'm proud of is they are both extraordinarily kind and extraordinarily intuitive. So I, I raised kids that care a lot about other people, that listen to other people, that want other people to be happy and to be successful. So that's, that's one thing, you know, we're, we're in it together and you got to care about other people, number one, and you have to be kind. The other thing that I think is great about my kids and what they learned from me is there's always more to learn. Be a lifelong learner. If there's something that you're curious about, study it, read books, go to workshops, take classes, um, join an online community, and then find a way to give back in whatever way you can. So those, those are probably the three things. So along those lines of instilling those characteristics and beliefs in your children, those that know you best and those who respect you and love you, at the end of your days, what do you want them to say about you? I would like to go out with having touched as many people in a positive way as I can. And I want every interaction with me to be memorable. I want to be known for having those authentic connections with people. I think that's it. <laughs> you know, I, I want people to say every time I had a conversation with Haley or had dinner with her or you know, went to a party or had a problem. She made me feel better. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? Oh, this is a hard choice, but I think I would choose the author. She's not alive anymore. 
but I would choose the author Karin Blixen, who wrote Out of Africa under the pen name Isaac Dennison. She's always been my idol. And uh, she published her first book, by the way, in her 50s. And she was just an amazing adventurer and lover and writer. And I would love to have dinner with her. There are a couple of other people that are on that list too, but that's probably the number one. What would you ask her? Very first question. I would probably ask, how did you overcome the most difficult experience of your life? Mm, She had a lot of them, but yeah. Or maybe if there's one more thing you would have done, what would have been? Mm, (laughs) What, what, what did you leave unfinished? Yes. Yes. So this podcast is unstoppable and it's about unstoppable women. So I'm going to ask you, what makes you, what makes Haley unstoppable? I love my life. I love my life with all of its warts, with all of its failures, with all of its embarrassments, with all of its triumphs. I can honestly say that I absolutely love the experience of being alive in the world. And when I feel like giving up or not giving it my best, which I have those moments as we all do, I stop and I remind myself this experience of being alive in the world with these people in these times is amazing. And so I have have a tremendous amount of appreciation for that. And I think that's what makes me unstoppable. I love it. You inspire the heck out of me. I want to rock down the street. I'm going to tell my age, like Mary Tyler Moore with her hat in the air. Um, I just, can we be friends? Can we be BFFs? We already are. We already are. I I hate you for every word, my dear. Oh, gosh, gosh, you are amazing. I'm going to fly out to Phoenix as soon as it gets below 100. (laughs) And um, we can have like mimosas or something. I love it. Thanksgiving is a great time. Okay. Okay, cool. I'm going to put it in my calendar. Phoenix, Arizona, Thanksgiving. Yes. How can listeners get a hold of you? Because I know they're going to want to be in your space. Oh gosh, find me on LinkedIn for sure. Haley Nielsen is pretty easy. And Twitter, I'm all about Twitter. So, and it's just at Haley Nielsen. And you can also find me on Instagram. You can see pictures of my dogs and my kids on Instagram at Haley Nielsen too. So Awesome. Haley, on behalf of everyone in this women in sales community, the listeners of Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes and heartfelt gratitude from me. Thank you for your time and your energy and for pouring into us today. Thank you so much. And thank you for all you're doing for our community. My pleasure. 